Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, a treasure map, a real genuine treasure map, is worthless to you if you can't look at it and read it and understand where it's taking you so you aren't able to get there and dig up the treasure. The potential's there. It's true, it's real, but it's not available to you. And so there has to be in our lives our relationship with God in the sense that he has given us a treasure map. He's told us, you know, here's the realities. And then we have to what? Become doers of the word. So we can get to that place and we get to some practical things. Probably, we're talking about the last week and this week and next week, taking this theological truths that we've been talking about about when you become a Christian, what's true, some major doctrine, theology. And it's a little bit, a little bit abstract in a sense. Uh, and what we're saying is, so how does it work in our lives? And so let's just do kind of a quick review here of the theology that we're looking at. Um, and the first thing is this, actually, for the whole book of Colossians, and that's that when we were saved, we were placed in union with Christ. And it is permanent. That moment that, that we believe by God's grace, the Holy Spirit worked in our lives, help us to see that we've sinned against the Holy God and, and that, that separated us from him and would condemn us to hell. But then we learn that, that God, as we just sang, loves us so much that he sent his son into the world to, to live this perfect and sinless life, die on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, and that moment when we see that and understand it and we believe it and we say yes to God, that's for me. I believe it. I receive Christ. At that very moment, we are united with Jesus. Somehow, deep down inside of us in our spirit, he moves in to our spirit and I don't know that we can tell the difference anymore. The, the union is there and it is permanent. It is forever. And so sometimes if you ever wonder, I mean, I was just watching something this week, you know, about talking, can, can you lose your salvation? You know, once you get saved, can you lose your salvation? And, I, you know, the idea is, well, if it depended on you, absolutely. Right? But the deal is, is what God did when you believed, he did something that is permanent and forever. And he's not changing his mind. Isn't that good? So, saved, permanent union with Christ. Let's, let's open our Bibles here to the book of Colossians. And I think page 1353, probably uh, in the Bible that's under the chairs there, and then we'll hit a couple more pages here. But I just want to go back and just revisit some of this with you. Chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. He says, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. This mystery is what had not been revealed before, but what God has now revealed, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect 
in Christ Jesus. So verse 27, he says, Christ in you. And verse 28, you in Christ. So which is it? Trick question. It is both, that's right. The moment we receive Christ, Christ moves in and somehow rather God takes us and puts us into Christ. It is a permanent union. Go to chapter two, verse nine and 10. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. That means that everything that needs to happen for you to be saved, everything that needs to happen for you to spend eternity with the, with the Lord in heaven, everything that needs to happen for your life to get changed now, you have it because you are in him, who is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells in him. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism. Now remember this word baptism, the root meaning of this word, the root idea is to put into. And when we baptize someone with water, what do we do? We put them, splash into the water. That's right. And so this word means put, being put into. So it says we, says buried with him when God put us into Christ, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, it means you weren't a Jew and you had your sins, which you were spiritually dead in. He has made alive together with him. You see, but it's in him, it's with him. All of these things, this union that we have in Christ. Go down to chapter three, verse three. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Remember this what he said, you, you were buried with him in death, you died with him. His death becomes your death. So the sin penalty has been paid forever, but now you have new life. And then it says in verse four, when Christ who is our life appears, he actually is our life. And so we have this inseparable union with the Lord. You know, and if we did nothing else, if we said, hey, let's just sit here and think about that for a while, that could be a, quiet sermon that would be very powerful, wouldn't it? We are forever joined with Jesus. Now, if you haven't received Christ, you are not joined with Jesus. You are still on your own and you're in trouble. And let me tell you, you don't want to do that. You, you need to say to the Lord right now, say, oh God, that's me and I, I believe and I receive Jesus. And if you have questions, please let us help you with that. So there's the theological concepts. We're in Christ, he's in us. His death, our death, his life, our life. And, and, and so there's all these things we believe. It's kind of like a construct of, of this truth. But just like a treasure map, if we don't know what it means here, <laughs> right? What does it mean when I get up in the morning? What does it mean when I come and see you? What does it mean when I go out into the world and go to the workplace? And what does it mean? How does this stuff work? And so we started last week asking that question. How does our union with Christ affect our lives in, in, in practical ways? Go ahead and go to that if you would, Silas. How does our union with Christ affect our lives in practical ways? First, it's practical should be because affecting our thinking. But how are we living? And so we saw this last week, that there are things in our lives that need to go because they don't match who we are in Christ. They, they just don't fit anymore. They need to go. And you can go back and look at that list. It's in the first, uh, the, kind of the middle there, chapter three. Today we're gonna see a second way that it gets practical because there are things that need to be added to our lives. 
because of who we are in Christ, okay? So things we had to, that needed to go away, and then we have things that need to be added. So today we're going to continue looking at practical results of your union with Christ here in Colossians chapter 3. So let me begin reading in verse 12. I'll read the verses, then we'll go back and work through them. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Lord, I pray that you will uh, enlighten the eyes of our understanding here, that your spirit would teach us as you've promised that he would. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so back up to verse 12. This is the second therefore. We've had all of this doctrine, like I said, this theology of who we are in Christ and, and, and uh, you know, we're in him, he's in us and his death and his life and our death, our life, all that kind of stuff. And then in verse um, five of this chapter, he said, therefore, Therefore, because of that, these things need to go. And now we get to verse 12, and he's going to say, okay, therefore, because of that, these things need to come into your life and be a part of your life. But he also lays out a little bit of a basis here. Verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. All right, the elect of God. Let's, let's talk about this for just a, a little bit here, because it's a very powerful, powerful truth to understand is the elect of God. The word elect means chosen, right? We think of elect, the word election, we're going to elect somebody, we're choosing them, okay? So it says that we are the chosen ones of God, those of us who have come to Jesus as Savior, all right? Well, how did that come about? What does it mean he chose us? Well, God, before he ever creates anything, and, and let me just say, once we start talking about God and how he thinks about and stuff, we get into the deep weeds pretty quick because he isn't like us, right? So, but as I try to understand this, that God, before he ever creates anything, he knows every possible way he could create, doesn't he? He knows every possible way he could create and do things. And, and to, you know, he, but he makes a determination. At some point, he's going to create human beings with free will who can choose to respond to him and love him or not. And he makes it, and so he, he, I can do it this way, this way, this way. And he finally chooses, I'm going to do it this way. And once he says, I'm going to do it this way, he knows everything that's going to happen. He hasn't determined it. He's allowed us to have free choice. Any of these, he's going to say, you get to choose freely. But I have chosen to create in this way, and that means that one day Frank Harrison's going to come to Christ. Dolly Richmond is going to come to Christ. Right? I go around him. He, he knew you. And in a sense, when he chose to create this way, he also chose you. He chose you. You're very, very special to him. He knows you. And he knew that also that this means that his son was going to come and die for your sins. He loved you. We just sang it, right? He loves you so much. 
So he, because you are chosen by God, you know, you are one of God's favorite people. God doesn't have one favorite. He has lots of favorites. Okay, one of God's favorite people. Do you see yourself that way? And I don't mean this because, hey, man, I'm, I deserve this. Oh, no. I want to talk about that. But the fact that God loves us so much. He's chosen us. We are one of God's favorite people. And then he says, holy. He's made us holy. See, that's another thing that happened. And when Jesus died for our sins, it says that he became our sins. He took our sins. And then he gave us his holiness, his righteousness. He made us different. You know, you walk, leave here and go out in the world today and you walk around out there. Most of the people you're going to walk past do not have a spirit that's alive to God. Most of those people, God does not live in them. And that's sad. We got to reach those folks, right? We need to care about them. But the reality is, is you are, you are different from the world around you by God's design. Okay, go ahead and show that if you would, Sila. You're different from the world. This is by God's design. Now, not different in the world that we go out and say, hey, I'm better than you. No, what? We're different in the world because God has done something in our lives and we want you to know. You know, Christians should never be prideful about, you think, do you think you're better than the unsaved people around you? Well, you know, you may live better and you may have Jesus' life in you, but apart from what the Lord has done in your life, you're what? Just as lost as they are. Okay, so, but that is, we are, we're different. We're unique people that God has called us to do things. And then he says, beloved. And this word, beloved, do you remember when Jesus got baptized and, and the Spirit spoke and said, this is my, what? Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And now, the Holy Spirit prompts Paul to write and describe us as his what? His beloved. You are deeply loved by God. More than you know. More than you understand. Okay? And so then he says here, because of these things, therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on. There are things that we need to put on, that we need to add. And then he Gives us the list. So let's take a look at this list. Go ahead and put it up there, Silas. Here's the list. Put on these things. Tender mercies. This is the idea of a, a compassionate heart. We just talked about walking around a world of people that don't know Jesus. Does your heart go out to those people? Or you just get frustrated with them? No, our heart needs to go out to people. We need to have a merciful heart. Uh, and then kindness. Now, it's interesting. If you look up the word kindness, this, this, what the Greek word right behind kindness, you know what it means? Kindness. So you look up in English, kindness, and it says the quality of being kind. It does say a few more things in the idea, but really, you know what being kind is, don't you? You know what a kind person is, and you know when you're kind and when you're not, right? So kindness is something that needs to become a part of our lives. Humility needs to be a part of our lives because the only way we can do the things that God wants us to do is by his grace and God gives his grace to the humble, okay? And so humility, we need to see ourselves realistically. By the way, this is not about putting yourself down. Oh, I'm just a nobody. I'm just a no good. Well, if you're a Christian, that's not true for either one of those. You are somebody because you belong to God of the universe, 
and, and you are not just no good because he is changing you. Okay? But we need humility. We need to see, yes, I am these things, but it's because of God's working in my life. Meekness. And we think of meekness, sometimes we think of being weak, but meekness is not about being weak at all. It's very much about, we might say in some sense, it's a strength that's restrained. It's under control. It's not about, I have to have my way. In fact, meekness is very much tied up with a willingness to yield your rights for bigger purposes, okay? So we are meek. Uh, Long-suffering. Wait a minute. You mean if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to have to suffer? Yeah. First of all, you're in a sin-cursed world, you're going to suffer. Secondly, God may lead you through things of suffering to change you or to accomplish some bigger purposes that you, you aren't even aware of. But so this is the idea of really being patient and enduring. You, you don't throw up your hands and walk away, you know. You, you, you live through this and embrace God through it all. It doesn't mean you don't struggle, but you struggle with the Lord. And then bearing with one another. This is one of my favorite commands in the scriptures because really what it means, let me ask you, don't raise your hand. Anybody of you know anybody, maybe even in this room, maybe that lives in your house even, I don't know, but who you get frustrated with? You ever been frustrated or bothered by? I, I, I saw an abomination today here at church. I did. I went in that bathroom out there and somebody put the toilet, toilet roll, roll on backwards. I fixed it. Okay. Uh, that's silly, right? But the idea is there are things that bother us sometimes just because we're different personalities and bearing with one another really means just putting up with one another. Sometimes we need to do that, but we need to do it with the heart. It's tender mercy. We need to do it in a way that's kind and humble and meek. And, but the idea is sometimes you have to do that. And what's the big deal, really, when I stop and think about it, right? I mean, it, whatever, if, if some, you do something that bothers me, why am I bothered? And that's, that's a real point of growth. You start to just accept one another the way we are. Then forgiving one another. This is where somebody actually offends you, does something wrong to you. And we need to have a forgiving heart. And there's a whole, that's a whole you know, lesson in and of itself. But we need to have a heart and a mind that's ready to forgive, that we don't hold grudges, we deal with it. Okay, very, very important. And then love. I put it in capital letters because he says, above all, Above all, put on love. It's kind of like, you know, all these things are like clothing that we put on. The new man's clothes. Remember the old stuff we looked at last week? That's that dead guy or that dead girl's wardrobe, that stuff. And we're supposed to take that wardrobe on, and then we start putting on the wardrobe that we got when we came to Christ. And that's these things. And so love makes me think of this. It's like, I, I, at home, I get home, and like a lot of you, we, are, we have had the heat turned down this year. Okay? And it's colder than it used to be, and I have no hair on my head. You know, Glenda doesn't bother her, but my head gets cold. Anyway, but I have this old, really heavy hoodie sweatshirt that I put on over everything, and life gets better. Okay? <laughs> and it kind of just holds all the heat in there, and it's warm, and, and I like it. I love it. Uh, it looks really bad. I don't wear it in public. But love, it's, I envision it, it's like you've put all these things on, but you, then you put on love. It's the bond, it's what holds it all together. It's what keeps you motivated to do these things, because sometimes you won't be motivated. And then the peace of God, letting the peace of God rule in your hearts. When the moment we received Christ, we made peace with God. We were his enemies before, weren't we? 
And so then the Holy Spirit comes moves into us and he gives us the peace of God within. And he's saying that our relationships, that the peace of God ought to govern our relationships again. Uh, as, as much as in, in your control anyway, right? And then he adds being thankful. Being thankful. Who do you want to hang around? A person who feels like they're always getting done wrong or someone who's always grateful? Great. Who do you want to hang around with? Great. Okay, so then why don't you be one of those people that other people like to hang around, right? <laughs> be genuinely grateful, all right? So that's the list of things we're supposed to put on. And then he gives us a little more thought about what's going to happen here as we do these things. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This, uh, the word of Christ certainly would include the gospel, wouldn't it? Okay? It would also include the teachings of Christ himself. And Christ talked about the rest of the Bible as being the word of God. So it really includes God's word, the word of Christ, everything that God has revealed to us in his word. He says, let this dwell in you richly. Now, how does it get to dwell in you? Well, I got one on the shelf over there. And occasionally I walk by and say, no, we have to what? We have to be on purpose taking it in. And I'm so encouraged, like Chris, I'm so encouraged by what I saw in your post. She's talking about how she's been reading the Bible and you know, it's making a difference for her, right? She's, it's, it's able to begin dwelling in her. And it's not just supposed to we take the word in and let it dwell in us. We let it dwell in us how? What's the word say? Richly. If you're rich, do you have more money than you need? Yeah, you do. That's so the idea of rich, right? You have more than just your basic needs. You have more than that, richly. And so it's, it's more. And so when we take in the word of God in a way that's richly, it not only fills us up all the way, but it what? It comes out into the lives of others. And this is where we see, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, wisdom is not just knowledge. It's not just knowing something. You know, when we have wisdom, godly wisdom, it means we have come to understand something from the Bible. Maybe it's a principle, maybe it's a command, maybe it's an example, maybe it's just an attitude that we're picking, whatever. We come to, to know that thing. And then we can walk around with all that knowledge, but have no wisdom. Wisdom takes us surrendering to God about those things and then coming to understand, here's what it looks like in my life. That's wisdom, isn't it? When you can see, this is how God sees this situation. This is how I need to respond. And so this idea is it's letting the word of God fill our lives so much. You know, we need to be hearing it. We need to be reading it. We need to be studying it. We need to be memorizing it, meditating on it, certainly doing it. And as we do that, wisdom will come and we'll, we'll see things differently. And it comes out of us then and affects how we interact with other people. It comes out into life, into real life. Very, very practical, okay? Um, so we, we see this, that when the word dwells in you richly, it's gonna motivate you to do things you ought to do. It's gonna produce certain things in you. It's gonna enable you to do things that you didn't know how to do before. It's going to show you how to do things, especially when you get the wisdom. 
provide things that need to be added. The Lord's going to bring things along. Oh, this needs to be added to my life. This habit, this choice, this not doing, whatever it is, right? God is going to do that. The word will do that. And then he says, teaching and admonishing one another. I don't need to look at it. Teaching and admonishing one another. And he isn't saying pastors teaching church members, right? Pastors admonishing church members. Is, is that my role as a pastor? Am I to teach you? Yes. Absolutely. Should I admonish you? Admonish you means it's, like these, it's sort of like a gentle warning, but telling you, hey, this really matters. You need to pay attention. I'm supposed to do that. Yes, but here the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to write that who is to teach and admonish? Who? We are. You. I made my voice go high to get your attention there. You. You are. To each other. That means you're sharing truth with each other. That means that you're encouraging each other. You may be challenging each other. You're comforting each other. But it's based on the truth of God. This is what fellowship is about. Real biblical fellowship. Real biblical fellowship is not just about getting together and sharing the, uh, you know, the, the difficulties of your life and, or the details of what you're doing. All that's great and a part of our lives, but it's, it's somehow uh, it's intertwined with God. His word. What he's doing in our lives. Praying for one another. Uh, all of those kinds of things. And I've, uh, we'll be ta talking more to you about that as we, in the next couple months here. Really encouraging how you can get that. So it will provide you with truth to share. That's the idea, teaching and admonishing. And then the third thing, it will transform your worship. Teaching and admonishing one another. One of the ways we do that is by worshiping together. What do you mean? Well, when I stand up and, and, and sing today, come, now is the time to worship. Lord, you are worthy of worship. And I sing that with you. I'm teaching you something. Not me as the pastor, just me as a person. I'm teaching you, hey, it's time to worship. And you're coming back to me, yeah, it is time to worship. We're teaching and admonishing one another. You know, the lion and the lamb. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? And I, I'm not saying, but do you know around me, you guys who are singing, do you know that nobody can stop God in your life, what he wants to do, if you will cooperate? Nobody can stop him. Amen. Teaching and admonishing one another, right? Oh, how he loves us. The day he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves you too. <laughs> he loves you too. And so we're not just... You've heard this phrase, worship like you're worshiping for an audience of one, God alone. But I want to tell you, I don't think, uh, well, let me back up. When you're by yourself, that's true. Because when I worship God, when I'm by myself, I'm glad you're not there. Because sometimes I put on my big voice. Oh, and then I, hey, oh, hey. Yes, Lord. <laughs> I don't do it exactly like that because I don't know which know what I really do. But the point is that's worship audience of one. But when we come together, it's not about that. It's about me and you and all of us together worshiping the Lord. And so it does matter. It's good for you to see me worship. It's good for me to see you worship. It's good for me to see someone who's worshiping and all of a sudden I, I see that they, they can't already sing and they got tears running down their face. Or to see someone who just has their head bowed and it just the Man, are we in this together or what? That's such a good, good thing. And then 
Verse 17. And we, because I got to move on here, Silas, okay? Uh, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's pretty straightforward, right? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Giving thanks to God the Father. So here's, I think, a way to summarize this. When I'm living this way, my life is always about Jesus. And I'm grateful that it is. Right? Everything I'm doing. And I, none of us probably ever get this perfect. We get stretches of it well, right? But it's, it's continuous progress. We're not saying that. We, all of what I'm talking about today, we desperately need to depend on God and his grace to work. But my goal and how I want to live is that my life is always about Jesus and not begrudgingly. My life is always about Jesus and I'm happy about it. I'm so glad that it is. And so that's this, you know, we've seen it like every week. We talk about when you're living like this, then the theme of Colossians comes through in your life. And that's that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Right? That's, that's what he's called us to. And so these things need to be added to our lives. Things need to be taken out because they don't match who we are in Christ. And things need to be added because they do match Christ. So the question for you today is, is your life about Jesus? Is it really? Is there a lot of stuff you just kind of go through the motions and do, or you're excited about it and you do it, but it isn't really about Jesus. You want to get to the point, well, wait a minute. Everything here should connect to my relationship with Christ in some way. Either what I'm doing, what I'm not doing, how I'm doing it, when I'm doing it. There ought to be a connection to the Lord in that. And then he ends here. This is the second time he's mentioned it in this passage giving thanks, up above, being thankful, and giving thanks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that you speak to us. I pray that you'll encourage us with the remainder of our time together as we, we teach and admonish one another, Lord, by sharing things that we're grateful for. Please work, Lord. Touch our hearts and minds. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.